Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, September 28th. In today's news, with Rod Rosenstein holding on, House Republicans vote to subpoena Russia investigation records. A terrifying new report finds that widely used voter machines are vulnerable to cyber attacks. And the EPA eliminates the office that advises the agency chief on scientific research. But first, the big idea. The decision by Senate Republicans to vote this morning to advance Brett Kavanaugh's nomination validates Christine Blasey Ford's hesitation to publicly accuse him of sexual assault. After she reached out to a Washington Post tip line, her representatives in Congress and her friends, the Palo Alto University professor decided in August that she wanted to stay anonymous for two main reasons. First, she believed her life would be upended if she shared her imperfect memories of what happened at a house party in 1982. And second, she worried Kavanaugh would ultimately get confirmed to the Supreme Court anyway. But then other reporters who had heard her name through the grapevine started showing up at her classroom and her home. They reached out to colleagues about her. So Ford reluctantly decided to go on the record so that she could tell her story on her terms. Here's a part of her testimony from yesterday. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. Ford's first fear has undoubtedly materialized. She will be a household name for the rest of her life. She's received death threats. She needed to hire bodyguards out of her own pocket. She's been staying apart from her children as a security precaution. Increasingly, it also looks like Ford's second worry will come to pass, that it was all for naught. After a closed-door meeting of the Republican conference late last night following the nearly nine-hour hearing, Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn announced plans to vote Kavanaugh out of the Judiciary Committee at 9.30 a.m. Lawmakers were told that they need to stay in Washington over the weekend for procedural votes on Saturday and Monday. A final confirmation vote on the floor is planned for Tuesday. As he left the Capitol last night, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell expressed optimism and confidence that he will corral the 50 votes needed to get Kavanaugh onto the highest court. He can afford to lose one of his three members who are still wavering, Susan Collins of Maine, Jeff Flake of Arizona, and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, because Vice President Pence can cast the tie-breaking vote. During yesterday's hearing, Kavanaugh emphatically denied the charges that have been leveled against him by three separate women. He sought to paint Ford's testimony as the result of some kind of vast left-wing conspiracy orchestrated by Democrats who can't accept the legitimacy of President Trump's victory and are seeking what he called, quote, revenge for his work with Ken Starr to impeach Bill Clinton. He tried to turn the tables on Democrats who were questioning him, even asking Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota if she's an alcoholic. So So you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened. That's you're asking about. Yeah. Blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just so you that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah. And I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Nor do I. Okay, thank you. Kavanaugh's conservative allies on the committee joined him in calling the timing of Ford's allegations suspect and suggesting that there were ulterior motives behind the way her name got out. The questioning of Ford, led by a female Republican prosecutor from Phoenix, focused much more on the process of how she got her lawyer, how she paid for her polygraph examination, and whether she took an airplane to Washington than her underlying account of what happened that night in 1982. 
At the hearing, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina angrily painted it all as a partisan exercise. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job. You consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Would you say you've been through hell? I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. Senate Democrats vigorously denied that they leaked Ford's name, and Ford herself testified that she believes they respected her wishes to stay quiet and keep her story confidential. Kavanaugh's decision to attack Democrats instead of Ford appears to have succeeded in doing what he needed to do, which was galvanize GOP senators who might have defected after Ford fared well during her morning appearance. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the White House postponed a highly anticipated meeting between Trump and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein until next week, echoing the president's claim that they didn't want to do anything that might interfere with the Kavanaugh hearing. The move marked a dramatic de-escalation of a conflict that this Monday seemed certain to end with Rosenstein leaving the Justice Department. Now, Rosenstein's not out of the woods. But even if Trump does move to oust him as Deputy Attorney General, his headaches from Bob Mueller's Russia probe will be far from over. Politico reports that several Trump administration appointees who are in line to take over Rosenstein's role overseeing Mueller come with their own baggage, from direct involvement in the probe to recent work at law firms with clients who are mired in the investigation. Today is the last day that the House of Representatives will meet until after the midterm elections. They're going on recess so they can go home to their districts to campaign. In the final meeting of the House Judiciary Committee before the elections, Republicans on a party-line vote decided to issue a subpoena for memos that were written by former FBI Deputy Director Andy McCabe, as well as the FBI documents that were used to justify surveillance of former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. Republicans requested the McCabe memos from the Justice Department earlier in the summer, but they were told that they wouldn't be turned over. But reports last week that McCabe wrote in the memos that Rosenstein considered recording his private meetings with Trump and even using the 25th Amendment to remove him from power put new urgency behind the GOP's desire to see what's in the memos. Number two, a new report commissioned by the Ohio Secretary of State says that voting machines used in more than half of U.S. states carry a flaw that makes them vulnerable to cyber attacks. The Wall Street Journal reports that the issue was found in the widely used Model 650 high-speed ballot counting machine made by Election Systems and Software LLC, the nation's leading manufacturer of election equipment. While many of the flaws can only be exploited when an attacker gets physical access to machines, the report describes two techniques hackers could leverage to get remote access and, for example, change a vote count. That could be devastating in a close race. This is the latest warning from researchers, academics, and government officials who say election systems in the U.S. are at risk of tampering. Earlier this month, the National Academies of Sciences recommended that states move away from voting machines that don't include paper ballots. And senior intelligence officials say that Russian efforts to interfere in the midterm elections are deep, real, and ongoing. Number three, the EPA is slated to eliminate the office that advises its agency chief on the scientific research underpinning health and environmental regulations. The science advisor works across the agency to ensure that the highest quality science is integrated into their policies and decisions. A spokesman said that the decision to dissolve the office is a way to, quote, eliminate redundancies. 
But the New York Times reports that the move is just the latest among many steps that have been taken by the Trump administration to diminish the role of scientific research and policymaking while the administration continues to pursue an agenda that rolls back environmental regulations. Separately on Tuesday, in an unusual move, the EPA placed the head of its Office of Children's Health on administrative leave. But spokespeople at the agency declined to give a reason for that move. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, September 28th. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a nice weekend. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.